Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Everyone is talking about Taylor Swift. If it's not her Grammy wins, it's her upcoming tour, the new album, her boyfriend playing in the Super Bowl, and Katrina Blowers, this was one of your pitches. Yeah, this is all about a wild conspiracy theory involving Taylor Swift. So if you're a Donald Trump supporter, one of the so-called MAGA Americans, you're probably talking about Tay-Tay being used by the Democrats to keep Trump out of a second term in the White House. The idea that uh, Taylor Swift is some kind of deep state operative working with the Pentagon or that the Super Bowl is is rigged for the for the Kansas City Chiefs and that she and and her uh, boyfriend Travis Kelsey are kind of artificially propped up by the media. I mean, there's really no legitimacy to this. Yeah, so in today's briefing, we're going to take a deep dive into what some people are calling an insane conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift is, in fact, an operative for the Democrats to keep Joe Biden in the US presidency. That story is coming up in the second half of the briefing. That's right, but first, here are the headlines. It is Thursday, February 8. So we spoke about this yesterday in the headlines and in our Arvo episode. Now it's official. Workers will be given the right to disconnect after hours from their bosses. Labor has agreed to include the amendment in its sweeping industrial relations bill, which is now expected to pass parliament today. So all this was proposed by the Greens and it now has the support of the government and key crossbenchers, Jackie Lambie and David Pocock. And they fought for additional amendments, including simplifying the process to convert a casual employee to a permanent one and lifting the threshold for when a gig worker was considered employee-like. The initial proposal with the right to disconnect has been walked back a little bit though, Sasha, and will only guarantee staff the right to ignore an out-of-hours call or an email without penalty from their employer. Initially, this was um, going to penalise employers for making those requests at all after hours, but uh, now you can actually just ignore those without penalty, which I guess was the whole point anyway. And here's Green Senator Barbara Pocock on yesterday afternoon's episode of The Briefing saying it's all about giving workers the legal right to ignore out-of-hours contact. We can't overturn the power relations of a growing and large insecure workforce in the Australian labour market, but we can provide more support to give that worker a bit more backup, and that's what a right to disconnect is really aimed at. Mm, There have also been criticisms of the wider bill. Rideshare and food delivery businesses say the changes to rights for gig economy workers will lead to higher consumer costs, and business groups are also making criticisms. They say the new rules concerning casual employees will introduce a lot of red tape at a crucial time. Labor has argued back against that though, Katrina, saying it's a small price to pay for worker rights and safety. And I agree, I'd be willing to pay an extra couple of bucks on my Uber Eats order if I knew that the person delivering that food to me was being well looked after when it came to their rights as a worker. 
Yeah. And conversely, I think I probably wouldn't use some of those services or companies if I knew that their employers weren't happy or weren't being treated the best. I heard a lot of criticism about this yesterday. People saying, you know, why can't we all just grow up and just have that chat with our boss uh, and say, you know, I've got a family at home. Please don't contact me out of hours. But there are a lot of people who aren't in positions where they can you know, have those conversations without fearing for their jobs. Uh, so look, I think this provides some great protection for people who have that real power imbalance at work. Hamas has outlined a three-phase strategy to return Israeli hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. The group's response to Israel's earliest ceasefire proposal. This proposal, backed by the US, was mediated by Qatar and Egypt, but the details were never made public. This counter-proposal from Hamas would see a full Israeli withdrawal after three 45-day truce periods, and the deal includes a staged release of hostages, deliveries of food and other aid, as well as the reconstruction of hospitals and refugee camps in Gaza. The sticking point, though, as always, will be Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has called for total victory in Gaza. He addressed the media overnight. I am pushing with all my force to bring about the victory, an absolute victory. In other words, we're talking about, you can't talk about victory and leave suddenly six battalions there. You have to eliminate Hamas. Yeah, he he went on to say that 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 also means a complete dismantling of all Hamas battalions and destroying the entire underground tunnel network. So, yeah, that that is a a massive sticking point there. All this comes as US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in Israel to try to broker a ceasefire. He's meeting with Netanyahu and his war cabinet. More talks hosted by Egypt will be held in Cairo later today. And the promoter behind the iconic Live Aid concert is backing a new major concert series aimed at benefiting the fight against climate change. Earth Aid Live will happen in five countries across six continents over a weekend in August next year. It's not clear if Australia will be included in the tour, but apparently LA, London and Rio de Janeiro have been locked in. What hasn't been locked in yet is the lineup. Benefit concerts like this usually attract pretty huge names. I mean, they, they have to, to get ticket sales up and, and eyeballs on screens. Um, in the past, people like Elton John, Queen, Kanye West and Madonna have taken part in these things. Uh, according to written plans for the event, Earth Aid Live wants to evolve from traditional fundraising and take it a bit further by encouraging wide scale climate action in communities, spanning individual action, community engagement, corporate participation and intergovernmental collaboration, whatever all those things mean. But you do need to get big names. I'd be suggesting, what about Taylor Swift? We've already spoken a bit about her today. She's under fire for flying all over the world in not just one private jet, but two. Um, And, you know, she's got the star power that we all need right now. Yeah, I reckon it would be actually a bad look to 
get Taylor Swift on board unless she was like, hey, guys, I'm throwing out my private jet. Um, it is worth <laughs> noting, though, I went back and had a look through uh, the 1985 lineup. That was, of course, that huge one. I mean, the performance that stands out to me was Queen's performance. It's still when um, the Freddie Mercury biopic dropped, that was doing the rounds a lot on the internet, was that amazing performance. But it's worth noting there were barely any women on that lineup in 1985. So I reckon it should be completely dominated by female acts. As we saw at the Grammys this week, most of the categories were filled with women. So I'm all for a women-heavy Earth Aid Live. Um, I also had a look back. So the last time we saw a big concert like this in Australia was in 2007, and this was by the same promoter. It was the Live Earth series. Now, listen to this lineup that was happening in 2007. This was in Sydney. We had Eskimo Joe, Missy Higgins, Wolf Mother, Sneaky Sound System, and Crowded House. Have you ever heard a better representation of early 2000s music? What a concert that would have been, though. But yeah, I think if we want to move the needle forward on climate change and make this significant, we need huge, huge, huge names. So, yeah, excited for this. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep an eye on it. Katrina, thanks for joining us for the headlines today. Next up is our deep dive into the wild conspiracy theory regarding Taylor Swift and the GOP. And the Grammy goes to... And the Grammy goes to... Taylor Swift. There aren't many artists in music history that can be compared to Taylor Swift. She's now the highest grossing female touring artist of all time and has sold more than 200 million records. And moments like this can send the global army of Swifties into meltdown. My brand new album comes out April 19th. It's called... (laughs) It's called the Tortured Poets Department. It feels like she can do no wrong, but have you heard of a new conspiracy theory gaining momentum that Taylor Swift and her boyfriend Travis Kelsey are being used by the Democrats to get Joe Biden re-elected in November's US presidential election? The conspiracy suggests the NFL scripted the Kansas City Chiefs, who Kelsey plays for, making the Super Bowl. So Swift could then appear after the game to encourage Americans to vote for Joe Biden at the upcoming US presidential elections. Here's NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell responding to claims this week. What do you say to those who think it's all scripted by the NFL? I don't think I'm that good a scripter um, or anybody on our staff. She's a remarkable performer. She knows great entertainment. I had the opportunity to go to two of her concerts with our girls and my wife. She's the best of the best. And, and so having her come to NFL games, have her a part of that is nothing but a positive. The MAGA movement has itself all fired up, believing Tay-Tay will urge her army of supporters to go out and vote for Joey B., and they're not happy about it. Here's Fox News host Sean Hannity talking about it. I just hope somebody might show her a montage of creepy Joe and incoherent Joe before she makes such an endorsement. This way she'll be an informed endorser. It's all the stuff typical of crazy US politics and Matt Harris is an associate professor in political science at Park University in the US and he's here to explain it all to us. Matt, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Look, it sounds crazy but I have to ask, does this conspiracy have any legitimacy or is it kind of typical of what we've come to know from some of Donald Trump's more radical supporters? 
Yeah, I mean, I, there's really no legitimacy to this. The idea that, uh, you know, there are different angles to this. The idea that uh, Taylor Swift is some kind of deep state operative working with the Pentagon or that the Super Bowl is is rigged for the for the Kansas City Chiefs and that she and and her uh, boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, are kind of artificially propped up by the media. I mean, there's really no legitimacy to this. I mean, I, I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs need help to, to win football games and I don't think Taylor Swift needs any boost to her popularity. I mean, these, this was a good football team and a, a very popular uh, celebrity before uh, Travis and Taylor got together. But I, I do think it kind of jives with a lot of the sort of other right-wing uh, echo chamber conspiracies we've seen. You know, Travis Kelsey has a commercial in the States about the, the COVID vaccine. And, and so that kind of also plays into some of the other right-wing conspiracies we've heard about you know, the, the COVID vaccine and some of these other broader conspiracies about, you know, elites behind the scenes kind of controlling the world. And so I don't think there's any legitimacy to it. It just kind of fits with a lot of these other right wing conspiracies that we've seen. Yeah, let's talk about some others uh, that kind of are floating around at the moment. Can you tell us what the Jesse Waters theory is? Yeah, so he was on Fox News uh, in the States about a month ago talking about the Pentagon sort of floating the idea of, of using uh, Taylor Swift as an asset potentially to combat online misinformation. And I, I think this was based off of an offhand comment that somebody made uh, several years ago, but there's no, um, I think the Pentagon actually came out and said like, this is, no, this is nothing. So, you know, it's one of these things where you sort of take a, a kernel of, of, of something or some, piece of information, twist it, you know, six ways to Sunday and, 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 and have something come out the other end that you can, you know, sell to your viewers. Yeah, well, there's another one as well. And this time it's to do with specifically the Super Bowl. And that's an OAN conspiracy that uh, it's using some sort of mind control to turn people away from religion. I mean, where is this stuff coming from? You know, and it's funny, too, because like you would think there was certainly a time on the right in America where a popular singer dating a star football player would be the type of thing that the that the right would eat up, right? And and so if we had to go back to a root cause, it stems from the fact that Taylor Swift is incredibly popular. She has supported Democratic politicians in the past. She's espoused some left-leaning political views, and the right doesn't like that. And so from that, you get sort of these bizarre uh, conspiracy theories. As you said, Taylor Swift has come out to endorse Democratic nominees before. Let's look at this year's election. Let's say she does come out at some point, whether it's at the Super Bowl or at some other time, and does endorse Joe Biden for a second term in the White House. What kind of impact could that have on the election, given that her fan base is so committed and they eat up everything that she says? Yeah, I mean, and and that's sort of, there's sort of a few angles to this. One is, as you just said, Taylor Swift is enormously popular. I mean, we can look at everything from the era's tour, the era's movie, um, the fact that young women in particular are are tuning in more to NFL football, uh, in part to see Taylor Swift. Um, and, And so that is probably what the White House is looking at when they think that an endorsement would be really valuable. Also, if we look at her fans, a lot of them live in the suburbs, a lot of them are young people, millennials or Gen Z. Young people usually don't participate as much in politics. And so from that angle, to get those people to participate 
would certainly uh, would be a plus. Uh, Taylor had an Instagram post in the fall of 23 that uh, helped lead to like 35,000 new voter registrations through the website she took them to. So from that angle, right, like her fans are part of a demographic group that I think are really contested in American politics. On the other hand, most of the, some of the evidence we have about celebrity endorsements, uh, one of the big examples was when Oprah Winfrey endorsed Barack Obama. But that was in the primaries against Hillary Clinton. He was relatively unknown. And so that helped with things like people thinking, oh, like this is a viable candidate. When we look at Joe Biden and Donald Trump, this is a former president and somebody who is currently the president. They're very well known. And so when you talk about celebrity endorsements in a race like the presidency, where there are going to be so many other factors, I think maybe there's a cap on that. But certainly the the, the Biden people think that it's a big deal. And, and the Trump people do, too, because they're talking about behind the scenes, some sort of holy war against against Taylor Swift or, or something like that. Mm. What do these conspiracy theories, particularly ones like this that kind of tap into the mainstream so easily, what does it say about modern America and its relationship with its politicians and politics in general, but then also its relationship with pop culture and who is famous at the time? It's a really interesting mix of two really different things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think on the one hand, you have a, a long standing trend in America going back to the 70s of, of distrust in government. That kind of provides a, a breeding ground for wild conspiracies. You also have a very fragmented media environment where there are left wing sources, there are right wing sources, then there are, you know, outlets that try to kind of produce legitimate news. But I, what ends up happening is you sort of have these pockets where these conspiracies develop and, and where these outlandish kind of claims can take hold. But at the same time, if you talk about, you know, how much those matter, broadly speaking, a lot of it, I think, is an echo chamber. It's just people, it's sort of red meat to the base, right? It's people who already don't like Taylor Swift and love Donald Trump and they eat this stuff up, but is it really going to matter? Well, they probably were already going to back Donald Trump anyways, but I think it does speak to a really uh, fragmented media environment and a media environment where, yeah, there's a lot of outlets that don't do much fact checking where anybody can sort of say anything, particularly when these theories start to go viral on places like Twitter, or I guess it's it's called X now. I don't know that anybody calls it X, but <laughs> X. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, you mentioned this so-called holy war. How do you expect Donald Trump to respond to Taylor Swift? Do you think he's going to try and take on the biggest pop star in the world right now and her army of fans? I mean, I wouldn't put anything past uh, Donald Trump. And, and I think sometimes what you see come from him is maybe not the most strategic uh, action. But I do think like if you're going to go after Taylor Swift, like, yes, she has an army of fans. But beyond that, one of Trump's weaknesses in 2016, and he did win in 2016, but one of his weaknesses was polling showed that across the board, people, both men and women thought this guy does not respect women. And so I do kind of wonder if he chooses to go after Taylor Swift more than just the Swifties does whatever he's planning and whatever he's going to say about her, does that feed into that broader narrative that we've seen going back several years, which is that this is a guy who doesn't respect women. And I think that that is maybe a 
potentially a bigger sort of vulnerability to him, even beyond the Swifties, is what does this tell us about who this guy is? Or, I mean, I guess we kind of already know who he is, but does he show us even more about who he is, what he thinks about women, uh, things like that? That was Matt Harris, Associate Professor of Political Science at Park University in the US. Now, Taylor is on her way to Australia, and if you thought over the last few years her star was ascending... That'll be nothing compared to what's happening in 2024. A new album, a massive tour, and maybe influencing a presidential election. That is all for this episode of The Briefing. Be sure to check back the Sabo at three for another ep. And remember to reach out on Instagram with your thoughts and give us a follow. Search The Briefing on Insta. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thank you for listening. Listener.